Oh, it's a pig! Welcome to the Lake Erie Kayak Anglers Podcast, the podcast designed to make you a better angler. I'm Chuck Earls from LakeErieKayakFishing.com. Today we have a special guest. We have Mike Elsie from the USA Kayak Fishing Team and my teammate for the Kayak Fishing World Championship. He's also the angler that brought home the individual bronze medal on the hardest lake I have ever fished. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Chuck, man. It's a pleasure to be here, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, so before we get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, not really sure where to begin. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been a fisherman all my life, basically. Um, I grew up fishing. Uh, my family was a, a fishing family, and so uh, it, it's basically been in my blood. Um, I've been competing in bass tournaments since I was since I turned 16 years old. Um, just started on the local club level and, you know, fishing in the back of somebody's boat, like pretty much everybody starts out and uh, fell in love with it right off the bat. I'll, I'll never forget my very first tournament. I, I placed second, uh, took second place in my very first tournament ever in my whole life. So uh, that that pretty much sparked the the drive from, from then on out or, you know, right from the get go. Uh, so from there, I mean... Um, yeah, just, just growing up, I just, like I said, fish clubs and then, you know, went to college and all that. And then, you know, ended up fishing some national team trails and then kind of graduated from that into uh, some like pro-am type formats. Um, did very well uh, with those uh, national trails. Uh, went to the national, many national championships and, and so on. Um, from there, just kind of graduated on up to uh, kind of like a semi-professional type status, if you will. I, I fished the uh, the Bassmaster Opens, um, starting off as a co-angler, of course. I learned a lot in the first uh, couple of years doing that and then transitioned into the pro side. And from there, um, fished, again, the, the, like I said, the Bassmaster Opens on the, on the pro side and then the FLW Tour for a couple of years. And then life happened. <laughs> uh, some things uh, kind of got in the way, and and I had to step step out, step away, I guess, from the fishing scene for for a couple years, and uh, ended up selling my boat and the whole nine yards. Uh, and uh, so yeah, I was uh, I was how do you put this? I was like beached, if you will. All right. And I couldn't stand it. <laughs> Meanwhile, at that during that time, um, a friend of mine uh, was uh, not necessarily the same situation that I was, but he, for whatever reason, just decided to go to a general box store and buy him a kayak. What's this thing called a kayak? I mean, I've heard of whitewater kayaking and all that kind of stuff, but he actually bought a fishing kayak, somewhat of a fishing kayak. And was just putting it uh, on, you know, small bodies of water and having a great time taking pictures and showing me all these pictures of these fish that he's catching. And, you know, man, Mike, you ought to try this. This is a lot of fun. I'm like, 
Yeah, well, okay, fine. I will because, number one, I, I can't not fish, right? I have to fish. And so I did. I did the same thing. I went to Dick's Sporting Goods and bought a uh, little, I don't know, 10-foot sit-in, supposedly a fishing kayak because it had rod holders built in, but that was about the extent of it. <laughs> a little spot for like a little tackle box about that big to be strapped down on front. But at any rate, that's that's kind of where I cut my teeth and, and uh, did the same thing, just started off fishing a couple ponds and stuff. And yeah, it was fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had a, had a blast with that little thing. And But I'll try to speed the story up a little bit. But so while that was going on, I have also, I had also discovered that kayak fishing was like a real thing and it was bigger than what I imagined at even at that time and by the way this was just now only four years ago um and so yeah there was like a whole tournament scene and and, and all that and so uh that really kind of got my motor running <laughs> no pun intended uh but so anyway that that following winter at our local um, boat sport and travel show, there were a couple of vendors, uh, kayak dealers there, and one of which um, had uh, the native watercraft line um, on the showroom floor. And all right off the bat, I just like, that's, that's the way to go. I mean, I could pedal, I could still fish, I could still cast, that's what is going to suit me. And so made a deal, uh, bought a boat, and that's how I got started in actually actual kayak tournament fishing. Uh, I started off just fishing um, this like the state um, challenge series for, for KBF, which is those are essentially month long uh, tournaments where you, you have a all month long to, to catch your best five bass. Um, and submit them, and uh, I ended up winning a couple months. In fact, I ended up was the the challenge. They didn't actually have the title at that time, but they had the. I was the the number one guy or the challenge series angler of the year for for Indiana that year, my first year, and that qualified me for the 2019, the next year's national championship. Okay, cool. I'll go. <laughs> so I went. That was my first major, like, you know, in-person, people coming from all over the place, kayak tournament. And in fact, there were 467 anglers at this national championship, which just blew me away. Um, <laughs> lo and behold, I turned around and win that sucker. <laughs> I actually won the 2019 KBF National Championship, and that right there actually changed my life. Um, that, that set me up to, to kind of pursue kayak angling, uh, as a full-time career. And so that's, that's what I'm attempting to do or have been trying to do, uh, ever since. And, uh, I've had really good success. I've been, you know, in the top 10, uh, in angler of the year status, uh, two out of the four years so far. Um, and, and it's just been a wild, one amazing ride. Um, so that, that's kind of some, a little bit of background and then, uh, yeah, so that just kind of leads right into what we're getting ready to talk about here. Um, the, got the invitation to, uh, to join team USA a few 
uh, I don't know, I guess a couple months ago. It's time flies. It's just like everything's been a blur since then with everything going on. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's where we are. And uh, we just got back, as you well know, <laughs> you were there with me. Uh, we just got back from the adventure of a freaking lifetime, man. <laughs> yeah, it was an incredible adventure. But it seemed like everything wanted to stop us along the way. Oh, man. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. first thing was you showed up at my door uh, the night before, and uh, our, our electronics, the active target, uh, was delayed in shipping. And that was scheduled to show up after our flight. So we shrugged it off, got ready, headed to the airport. And that's when we were met with that ridiculous expense for bags. Um, I think between you and I, what did we spend? 2,500 bucks in baggage? Well, I, I actually just scanned the receipts. Uh, I mean, I, we split them up. I had more bags than you. And so they were, and I didn't know, and you didn't know either at the time that it's like so much for one bag. And then it's like the price goes up for each additional bag after that. And so, you know, what we did, if you remember, is we just split it right down the middle and we put, you know, four pieces of luggage on my ticket and four pieces of luggage on your ticket. And, and, but then that didn't work out so well either. So I just decided to, pay for it all <laughs> and so that's what it was and yeah it, it came out to be uh 1150 actually for that uh for that baggage so it was uh, a little bit of a punch in the gut but you know what you do it's only money right <laughs> right and it was only that was just getting there so that was just on, getting there right one way <laughs> <laughs> on the one way back way. i know my my luggage was around 360 and i think you said yours was somewhere yeah. over 800 dollars $820. Yeah, yeah which ouch. is, uh, you know, it, it starts making you wonder, would it have been cheaper just to buy some stuff over there? Yeah, I've been thinking about that ever since we got back, actually. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> next time. We'll see how it goes. If right. there's a next time, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's get into the flight. So we, we flew out of Cleveland into um, New York, and we were carrying, each were carrying the 23-amp-hour yeah, batteries, and mm -hmm. that's a little bit more than what you're supposed to carry, um, but it was necessary for the electronics that we needed for this tournament. Um, so we hit New York and hit security. They pulled the the batteries out and pulled out our electronics and they had no clue what it was we tried to explain this is you know it's fish finding equipment this is what it's used for those batteries are to power it and eventually they let us on our way and and we thought we thought we were good we thought we were set on our way to madrid and then why don't you tell us what happened on the way there <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, so our flight into Madrid was the, was uh, running a little bit behind. And um, unbeknownst to us, of course, because 
naturally we've never even been there. I, for one, had no idea how big that airport is in Madrid. I mean, you know, on the way back, since I had such a long layover, I took some pictures and the concourses are so far away. The, the concourse that we had to travel to was clear on the opposite side of the grounds, on the other side of the runway. And the train that we were on for 20 minutes, I guess it was, ran underground all that all that way. Um, so, yeah. So our flight was late getting in. So as essentially as we were getting off our plane into Madrid, our connecting flight was essentially getting ready to take off which was located on the opposite side of the airport, not including going through the time that it took to go through security and all that. It was 25 minutes from point A to point B. And so, yeah, long story short, as you know, um, we missed the flight. There was just no way. There was no possible way of getting there. And so we missed it. Yeah, we, we ran the whole way. And then we realized we had to go back through security. Yeah. <laughs> and they they really didn't care that we were going to miss our flight. They just wanted to know what was these electronics that we were carrying? What were the batteries? And I remember thinking, wow, we got all the way over here and we're going to lose the batteries right here. And we just went through that. See, because when we got, remember, when we got to the airport, we had to go through security the first time. That's what caused us being late because it took forever. But then when we had to get on a different flight, we had to go through it all again. And we like saw the same people, you know, call it 20 minutes earlier. Hey, remember me? <laughs> you just checked that bag. Let us go. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking. I know I didn't say it out loud. Well, maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we missed our first flight, and the uh, customer service counter was not as far as we had came initially, but clear on the other side of the, the concourse, and we were met with probably most of our flight, because they yeah, had missed everybody it, too. Missed it. You're right. You're so right. we stood there for an hour, waiting to get another <laughs> ticket, and then went back through, uh, well, no, we didn't go through security yet, because that... That flight was supposed to leave from that concourse. So we sat there for two hours watching the flight. All of a sudden, that flight disappeared off the screen. And lo and behold, China was uh, sending up some parts for their Chinese space station. And one of the boosters um, was uncontrollably falling back to the earth. And we were kind of in the red zone. So they shut down the airspace and redirected everything, put us on a third flight, uh, which put us back through security, and that flight was leaving now. So we ran to security. We tried to get back through security. We ran there. I remember trying to keep up with you, and probably the last 200 yards, I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't think I can keep running. You made it and, uh, and held the flight for a couple of seconds and we got on and we were on our way um but not to our destination airport we were uh was it vigo vigo they took us to a completely different airport where once we got there then we had to catch a ride on a bus which was what was that three hours or something like that i Back think it was towards... like 
two, two and a half hours. I mean, Something plus like waiting that. for the bus. Right, right. So it was a long, long haul just to get to our original destination of Porto in Portugal. And then and what happened? Chuck? Where where was our baggage? <laughs> Who knows? They were knows? at one of the airports uh, waiting for us. <laughs> Not so, just one day either, folks. Our luggage were gone was gone completely out of out of reach, out of sight for two whole days. The only thing we had was our luggage, our our, our, our carry on. <laughs> that was it for two days. Right. <laughs> and so Eric Jackson picked us up. We got to the resort and we realized that there was an issue with the transportation company for the kayaks that were being sent over for us. Uh, so we didn't only not have our fishing gear, we didn't have boats to fish out of. You know, fortunately, Francisco over at Sabre Pesca had a boat let us use the boat for the day and their gear and we got out and had the opportunity to experience the lake at least one day you know the plan was to have three full days before the start of the tournament to to dial it in we were supposed to arrive at 7 30 in the morning figured a few hours getting gear ready and and we could at least have a little bit of time to break down the water and explore and then have two more days to uh pre-fish and learn the lake before the start of the tournament, which uh, obviously that did not happen. Not even close. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing we went there as early as we did, because if all as you know, and of course we haven't finished the whole story yet, but if if everything that took place would have taken place on our call it normal schedule of getting there uh we wouldn't have been able to compete then <laughs> yeah. not at all we'd have missed the whole we'd have missed the whole thing right we will be back after the short break today's podcast brought to you by lake erie kayakfishing.com come along with me and experience one of the best freshwater fisheries in the world while chasing monsters kayak fishing lake erie we now return to the show. <laughs> so Native Watercraft uh, Europe actually sent us over the original two boats. Uh, the transportation company somewhere got lost along the way, um, and that delayed them. So Native Watercraft Europe stepped up, grabbed two more boats, and expedited them to us to ensure that we had them for the tournament. Well, somehow... One of the boats showed up without a rudder. You know, mistakes mistakes happen. That's just life. Nobody's perfect. Um, so I reached back out to Native Watercraft Europe, and they grabbed the rudder and not overnighted it. I mean, within 12 hours, we had a rudder because... Same day shipping, yeah. I, I remember seeing your face, and you're like, <clears throat> after all these problems, your boat doesn't have a rudder. So I Googled it, and I'm like, 24 hours one way there's no way we can drive there and get one and i didn't know of anywhere else to get that rudder uh so they stepped up they got us a rudder the the night before the start of the tournament and uh and we were ready 
yeah, the start of practice anyway, the official practice time. So right, yeah, it was uh, it was just one gut punch after the other, um, and yeah, for those guys to for that that group to do what they did to to go through what they did to get us the boats and the gear to get ready, you know, um, performance of a native watercraft uh, kayak aside, uh, I'm with that company for those types of reasons because their customer service is absolutely second to none. You cannot put a price on that. Absolutely. You know, you can That's have the best I'm product in the world, but if you don't have the customer service, and the support to to back it up that's that product's really not what it what it needs to be and um they they proved that over and over and over again um so extremely extremely grateful for native watercraft and native watercraft europe uh so much so i'm i'm replacing my fleet and i'm joining up with native watercraft um where i belong and uh, we're going to continue to push oh. this ship forward. That's awesome. So one that. of the questions that I, I wanted to ask you, what do you feel kept us going? Mm. Well, <laughs> one is uh, each other. Absolutely. We didn't want to let, let anybody down. And... I learned, you know, you know, folks listening to this and watching this need to understand that prior to this event, prior to this whole Portugal trip, uh, I didn't know Chuck from Adam. Right. Didn't know anything about you. And uh, we learned a lot about each other this week. And, and I mean, that, that right there, your determination to get things done and to have the no quit never say never never say no attitude is phenomenal and uh yeah i mean i can't say that i number one i've never had to take anything that far and and i don't know if i could have done what you did so brother thank you for what you did because well, you you helped save the day you, you i really will did. say this i don't know if i could have done it without you because, you know, at times, emotions get in the way. And even after everything, frustration starts setting in, you know, so like you said, we fed off of each other. And, and we kept each other in check, you know, and, and made sure that, you know, we, we had that support. Uh, and really, that, that's how everything happened. You know, there was times where I was yeah. ready to just just scream at these people, which they didn't deserve it. It wasn't their fault. But, you know, after <laughs> 20 some hours, you know, in airports and <laughs> no on the sleep. flights, no sleep and, and just one thing after another, you know, it it gets frustrating. And one of the most hardest things to do is hold yourself back, you know, and, and remember that, that you need to act appropriately, you know, don't overreact. It's not, it's not the person's fault standing in front of you that the airplane got delayed or that we missed the flight or that the baggage was missing. You know, even though you want to exert your frustrations on 
um, out, you know, it's, it's our problem, not theirs. And if you treat people right, and you approach them the right way, you know, they're more than willing to help you because they deal with a lot of, a lot of assholes, you know, and a lot of people that are just um, unrealistic, you know, so I think it was, it was a fresh, a breath of fresh air for them. And I remember at least, at least one or two times where, you know, you're like, Chuck, it's okay. And um, I appreciate that. You know, yeah. I've, I've learned a lot from that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about, man. When it all, you know, when, it all, when it's all said and done, that's, that's what it's about. So, yeah, long, long answer to a short question, right? Um, right. But, yeah, that's essentially what kept us going, I think. Yeah, that number one is, is each other. And, yeah, number two is just the – we both possess that never-give-up attitude. So that you, – you put, you put a couple guys like that together, <laughs> look out, world. <laughs> We're unstoppable. <laughs> and then we get picked up by Eric Jackson and his energy was just over the top. You know, he awesome. he helped us bring it home and just work through the frustrations afterwards. I mean, not having fishing gear, not being able to prepare and strategize and break down the lake like we had planned. And uh uh I I don't know, I learned a massive amount from from Eric Jackson, uh, he is a he is a true legend and uh, and and definitely a hero of mine. Mm -hmm. Yep, makes two of us. Good dude, yeah. real good dude. So, the resort we were staying at was incredible. I mean, it was <laughs> it was beautiful, totally laid out. There was orange trees outside, olive trees outside. The food was phenomenal. And, uh, and the customer service was, was at the same level. Um, I remember every morning looking forward to that, that glass of that fresh squeezed orange juice from the oranges outside. I know. Right. Have you had orange juice since you've been back yet? Yes. I'm, have you? I'm afraid to, because I know I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> it is very disappointing. Uh, you know, just another reason to go back to Portugal right <laughs> yeah yeah we we definitely didn't go hungry there man it's uh that place was awesome fed us well treated us like royalty essentially i mean it was it was unbelievable beautiful place i would recommend it to anyone yeah and, and one of the best parts was all the teams except for i believe spain was staying at a different hotel we were all under the same the same resort um and, and had an opportunity to talk and get to know each other and bond. Uh, and, you know, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, near the end of the podcast. But I want to talk about Lake Sabre, uh, the hardest lake that right. I've ever fished. You know, I, I went there, I thought I was prepared. And that lake truly humbled me. It is a hard lake. I mean, it's one of the hardest lakes I've ever been on as, as well. I mean, you know, it's it's set in some of the most beautiful mountains ever. And uh, the water was crystal clear, which that always right off the bat makes things tougher when it's so clear like it is. 
And then, I mean, it was a bottomless pit. I mean, three over 300 foot deep. I mean, it was very, very deep, very, very clear. Um, no, obviously not even a, a hint of any vegetation or anything like that anywhere. It was just strictly rock, open deep water. Um, and, but it did have a lot of submerged trees, though. A lot of timber, standing timber. Um, I remember going over, you know, in areas where I was, my, my depth finder was showing I was, you know, in 50 or 60 feet of water. And I looked down over the side of my kayak and I could see, I could see the top of a tree, you know, 30 foot down, or you know. Um, so, yeah, that definitely made things challenging because with all that wood in the water and, of course, I'm just now just kind of leaning in towards the, the, the bass fishing side of things. Um, yeah, it made it, uh, it made it difficult, to, to say the least. And it wasn't just regular trees. It was like fruit trees. So there was tons of little fingers and uh, situations where even the best anglers was constantly getting snagged up. And of course, where were the fish hiding most of the time? They were they were pretty deep into the trees and different times, different days. They were in different positions in the trees. Um, so it, it made for a challenging situation that I personally struggled with. I mean, the first, you know, the first two days of practice and the first day and a half of the tournament, I was struggling to figure out the Xander changing up switching tactics trying to adapt and and figure out these xander that were basically suspended in you know anywhere between 50 to 120 foot of water and without having the active target uh electronics kind of made it a little bit tricky so i struggled all the way through that and then eventually converted over to bass fishing um, really because of your success and, and what you had figured out uh, at the lake. So let's, let's get into that. You know, what, what did you learn from the lake? What uh, baits and tactics um, really made, made it possible and, uh, and earned you some hardware? Well, a lot of it was process of elimination to begin with. Um, you know, as a bass angler, we always kind of hear the phrase, you know, a bass is a bass, regardless of where it's at. We're in, and for the most part, that is absolutely true. Um, I don't know. For whatever reason, I feel like those bass over there were just slightly different than a normal bass, I guess, um, because they're, they were not shallow at all um normally you can go along the bank line and i don't care if it's murky water clear water or what but you can see life you can see fish whether it's minnows baitfish bluegills small bass big bass they bass live shallow but not there they do not i mean i was just floored by how deep those bass were, and I don't believe it was just because of the time of year either. I mean, this, if anything, it was like opposite of what of where they should be. The water was in the sixty mid sixties, low to mid sixties. Those fish should have been pushed up, chasing bait along 
you know, on a shallow point or along the edge of the banks or something like that. And they were completely scarce the entire time. Never saw one fish. Uh, if anything did bust, it was out there in the middle of, you know, 140 foot of water or something, just a random, <laughs> a random splash here and there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it was just weird. It just wasn't set up. I don't know how to say it, I guess. The bass just didn't act like bass, I guess, you know. Um, so, yeah, process of elimination as far as lures. Uh, moving baits didn't work whatsoever. It was too clear. And what that's the, let me back up. It wasn't necessarily too clear, but it was too clear for the conditions. Because if you remember, we didn't have like any wind hardly at all. I mean, at times we did. Uh, you know, when the fog and stuff moved in and out. and But for the most part, by and large, most of the days were slick calm the whole time. And when you combine slick calm conditions with crystal clear water, wow, is that hard. I don't care what you're going after. That is the hardest. At high pressure, you know, it's just, you know, you just make make a list of all the, all the different conditions that just – served up to be the most difficult, the hardest conditions to fish in. Um, so because of all that, moving baits were out of the question. Uh, I never got any, I, I threw a jig if you, a little bit and, and never got anything on a jig. I know some people, you know, got some bites on jigs, but I couldn't get that done. Um, you know, one of my staples, one of my go-to baits is just a Texas rig worm, like a Texas rig Cinco or something like that. Um, but I have, I, and I usually throw a lot of that on a bait caster and on 12 to 15 pound test line. And I, you know, I couldn't get the, I couldn't get it to work down all those little bitty limbs just right. It would always get hung up or, you know, and then, then I, I, I was thinking with the clarity of the water that even though it's fluorocarbon, maybe that line is just too, too thick, too big. You know, I think they can see it. So I, uh, I went another route. I went even more finesse, if that's the word. Uh, I broke out the spinning gear and with eight pound test fluorocarbon and I was throwing, I ended up throwing a shaky head, a quarter ounce and a three eighths ounce shaky head with a Z man fatty Z on it and green pumpkin. Um, it was heavy enough to get down through the trees all the way to the bottom. And, and that's where I started getting bites. Those fish, I know there were some fish up suspended up around all the limbs and all that, but I never caught any of those fish. The fish that I were, that I was catching were on the bottom around the bases of those trees. So for me, it was important to get to the bottom of the lake or at whatever depth it was. It just so happened to be, it was in anywhere from 20 to 30 foot of water. Um, so I was using a really light line uh, with a fairly heavy for shaky head fishing, in my opinion, uh, like I said, a quarter to three eighths ounce shaky head. And that's when I started getting some bites. Um, and that, that's, that's, that's where I went. Uh, that, that's how everything got started. I got the majority of my bites on that exact setup. Uh, when it really got even harder, <laughs> if that was even a thing, because it was tough for, for, for the very beginning, 
uh, you know, the wind died, the sun got higher in the afternoon. And, uh, so, you know, the whole lake was a mirror, um, bright blue, not a single cloud in the sky. I downsized even more. I went to uh, a six ounce Ned rig with a big TRD, also in green pumpkin. And uh, I picked up a few more bites that way. Um, and the last, uh, the end of the second day and all of the third day is that's what I caught my fish on was the big TRD. It took forever for that thing to get all the way down though. I mean, I, it would drive me nuts. I'd make a cast and it, I'd sit there for it what seemed to be like 10 minutes for that waiting for that thing to get all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's essentially it. I mean, that, that was, that was the ticket for me. And you did actually catch uh, one fish on on a moving bait. You were throwing a deep diving crankbait, and uh, Xander, right. yeah. you got a Xander. Nice I Xander, did catch too. A Xander. Yes, I couldn't believe it, man. That that was just awesome. I, I thought, holy smokes, here we go. I finally got it figured out. I know how to catch a Xander now, at least. I mean, it's different than what everybody else is doing because. You know, the, the, the guys that were really doing well on the Xander, they, they had the live sonar technology, whether it was, you know, the Garmin LiveScope or the Lawrence Active Target or whatever the, the, the model was. But, you know, they were able to single out or see those fish. You know, the, what made the, the whole Xander thing so hard is they weren't grouped up at all. They were just single fish, one fish here, one fish a mile away, all by itself suspended 60 foot down and who knows what how deep it didn't really matter how deep the water was it could have been 70 feet it could have been 170 feet those fish were still in there around that 50 to 60 foot mark just just like hanging there just still nothing nothing happening there but those those guys that, that caught them were able to see them on their on their uh, live sonar technology get right over the top of them and drop their bait down right, basically right there in their face. And those fish, that's what they did. They just came up there, you know, ate it, and that's how they caught them. With us not having that ability, I mean, I, it's virtually impossible to, to locate those fish. And then to sit there, be able to sit there on top of them and, uh, and, uh, and get a bait down. Um, so my hat's off to them. Obviously, the technology was was uh, a big big player for them but uh you still i mean even that you know i know you still got to catch them but you know what i'm saying right uh, right helps to know what you're where, where they are before you can even begin to think about catching them yep you know and and shout out to those guys um you know team england uh team portugal they you know near the end they were pretty willing to share real knowledge, you know, not BS. They were, they were saying, Hey guys, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm using. And sometimes it's a 40 gram jig head on, you know, like a little two inch swim bait. And, and that was the ticket. Sometimes it was a five gram jig head on a little two inch swim bait. Of course I started out throwing, you know, big meaty swim baits, uh, tried to downsize from there, but I just, I just couldn't seal the deal. Um, but it was, it was super cool for them to be willing to, uh, you know, share information during a tournament. 
especially a, a world tournament where we're all competing for our country. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's that all for awesome. those guys. Absolutely. Yep. That's, uh, that's, they were true sportsmen for doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. So the end of day five, um, did you, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the lake? Oh, I, I mean, as hard as that lake was, I would love to go back again. Um, cause I mean, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, I'd love to be able to explore more of the lake, be able to go, you know, a, further up lake you know you know we had we had a, a boundary uh where we could go past the fish um i'm still convinced the better fishing was probably up past that boundary <laughs> there's more nooks and trainees more little coves and the whole thing kind of turns into more of a river uh where, where it just next down and gets i think it'd just be a little bit easier to break down but anyway that, that's part of the challenge i guess but no it was a great great uh, great lake those bass by the way i do want to say this those fish they fought so freaking hard. I could not believe it. They blew my mind how hard those bass fought. I mean, yeah, I know I was using light tackle and all that. And I was afraid to, you know, try to horse those fish out of the trees um, because I figured they'd just pop the line. And uh, so, unfortunately, uh, I did lose a few key fish, uh, especially on the second day. I only got four bites all day the second day. And, and unfortunately, I only had to get two of them in the boat how hard those fish fought i mean it was just uh, it was amazing how hard those fish pulled and they just you know bulldogged down down and i i, I couldn't stop them i mean I, I lost a couple key fish on the second day and i really wish i had had just even one of those because that would have put me in a different color metal <laughs> that's all right though. that's fishing uh, but yeah it was um it was a battle for sure it was awesome yeah, we, we came back to the ramp at the end of uh, day five, which was day three of the of the actual tournament. And I remember feeling pretty defeated. I, I did everything that I could to, to try to dial those fish in. I even switched over to bass fishing the halfway through uh, the second day of the tournament, just trying to score fish. And switched over to the shaky head like you were using through that for a while and then i uh i switched over to a football jig with i think it was a half ounce um with uh yeah. just a little trailer worm and 30 minutes into the fifth day or the third day of the tournament um i hooked up and and i fought the fish for a little bit and then it was gone but i had a good feeling i i I felt like I had finally figured this fishery out. A um, couple more bites along the day, but that was that was definitely the highlight. But I, I fished until the last two minutes before I, I had to be back to the check-in. And I remember hitting the ramp and just feeling disappointed in myself and, you know, feeling like I let my team down. And, uh, but the important thing, I didn't portray that on others. You know, I went up, I congratulated the winners. I congratulated everybody. They, they all did a great job. Um, my feelings, my internal feelings had nothing to do with them. And I remember, uh, the ride home was, was a pretty emotional one for me, but very necessary because I needed to get those emotions out. Uh, you know, I'm not... I'm not one that likes to give up, you know, there's always, there's always a way, there's always another 
another tactic, another, another path. Um, but this was the end of the tournament and, um, I ended up fishless, which is a hard pill to swallow. Um, but by the time we got back to the, to the hotel, I was feeling better. You know, your and Eric's energy just helped pick me up and we, uh, we got to experience the rest of the trip. And I would say that's, that's even at the level of the first half of the trip. You know, it, it was incredible. We went to uh, the award ceremony and got to recognize everybody. You know, everybody signed everybody's stuff and uh, gave gifts and, you know, just, just, fueled that camaraderie that we had grown and and produced over the the tournament yeah it was uh it was awesome i mean the, the whole camaraderie and 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 everybody celebrating everybody basically uh at the end was man it, you, again you, you could not put a price tag on that at all it was it was phenomenal uh, they did a great job with the awards and the whole ceremony i mean i was of course <laughs> getting a medal was just obviously one of the, one of many highlights but i mean it was that you know that's what that's what we went there for but we gained so much more than hardware um and i'm saying we uh, on that you know um I, I i may have you know did that on the individual basis but we we went there together you know, as a team and uh that's that's what it was all about the whole thing was just was just completely it was just awesome. <laughs> I, I, I was just babbling. It's just like, it was awesome. I can't see anything else. <laughs> it, it really it was, was you know, even what almost a week later, I'm still trying to digest it all and, and break yeah. it all down. So tell me what were some of the most memorable um, experiences? Oh man. Well, um, you know, Starting with obviously just the the crazy adventure, just getting there. The, I, I cannot narrow it down to just one or two things because the whole thing from the very start to the very end was memorable. It's something that I will cherish forever. Um, but you know the opening ceremonies, uh, them playing our national anthem and, and all that. I mean, I, I it was everything I could do to to keep you know, the tears from just gushing, you know, from that. It was just, the, the whole thing was just an emotional um, experience. Meeting all those anglers from the different countries and, you know, getting to know them, you know, in the little time that we had. <clears throat> it's like we've got 25 new best friends now because everybody just was top notch and, 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 and they treated us like rock stars, man. I mean, and, and vice versa, it, it went, it went back and forth just like that. And so that was a huge highlight in my book. And then outside of the competition, right, after everything was over and we were on our way back, just hanging out and getting ready to, or having uh, the opportunity to just walk through the town a little bit just to kind of see the sights. And then, you know, we took off to, to get a little bit closer to the airport um, because you had to take off, you know, the following morning. You know, us in, in the town of Bildicon, um, getting the chance to go through the Nello factory for for the all the racing kayaks and 
and uh, dip in a little bit of, of Eric's um, world, you know, with his whitewater stuff and, and all that was was cool as it could be, um, you know, hanging out in, in just a little mom and pop restaurant um, before meeting um, the great living legend himself, Oscar Chalovsky. Man, that guy right there, and I'm sure you're going to go and talk about him just a little bit more, but uh, that was that was phenomenal to have dinner with that man and uh, to have him sign his book for us and all that. And I'll let you kind of go into that just a little bit more. Um, you get a more of a connection uh, with that, you know, with with our our dear friend Levi. Um, so I'm going to let you get into that. but. That was just, again, one of many highlights of the whole thing. There was not one from start to finish. It was all a highlight, man. <laughs> I just can't. It really I was. Can't. I can't. I can't narrow it down. <laughs> you know, I remember uh, sitting there with Oscar and Eric sitting across the table from us, and we're having some port wine, having some super bock, uh, which is the best beer around uh <laughs> pretty good stuff <laughs> and you turned to me and you said exactly what i was thinking you said how cool is this we're we're sitting with with legends you know and and these two guys they they are legends but they they didn't act like legends they were super down to earth people very humbled very genuine and um just a, a moment I'll never forget, you know, and then we went back to Oscar's house uh, because I, I, you know, he wrote a book. I needed a copy of that book and I love having signed copies by the author, uh, especially a book like that. So we went back and we're sharing stories and, and just growing closer together. And, uh, he signed a copy for you and I, and then he signed a special copy for um, Levi, who's a, a six-year-old boy in our community who's, um, he's fighting uh, leukemia. And Levi was brought to the Lake Erie Walleye Trail because his absolute favorite thing to do in life is fish. Well, before we, before we actually flew out, you came out and met me and we, we met up with Levi, took some pictures, got a pep talk from him, gave him a flag, you know, a hat and, and some cool stuff and, and just, you know, gave back. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah. we were. That was awesome. Again, that was another highlight. <laughs> it just was, <laughs> it just was, that was a highlight for me. Yeah. And so going back, we're sitting in uh, Oscar's, beautiful apartment i mean it was just incredible and mm -hmm. uh oscar signs signs a copy of the book for levi he said keep fighting the fight you can do it and yeah. since then i've read uh probably almost half of oscar's book to this point and and it's incredible it's i tend to be a very deep person um we were meant to meet Oscar and, and help share his story. 
this is a guy that's he's uh diagnosed with multiple myeloma which yep. is a a bone marrow disease supposedly <laughs> incurable but if you ask oscar he's simply just hanging around until they find a cure this guy yeah. he goes out has his chemotherapy the following day he grabs his surf ski and he goes out and trains and keeps yeah. pushing and keeps that positive mindset um you know and that's that's something that we can all learn from yeah <clears throat> yeah the, the, the guy was when he was diagnosed they gave him six months to live that was a couple years ago right and I believe like so, you yeah. said yeah he does not quit he doesn't give up like you just said he, he goes through chemo one day and the very next day he's out there paddling he's training like he's getting ready for the next olympics which, by the way, you didn't mention yet, but, I mean, this guy's a 12-time world champion. I mean, right. can you say Superman, right? The dude is Superman. I don't care. That's him. And I think it wasn't until around age 30, uh, because he's from South Africa, and back then there was a lot of politics, uh, so he was not allowed to compete. So guys say halfway through his life and achieved 12 world championships i mean that's yeah that's incredible yeah absolutely yeah not to mention the fact that you know he had been kayak fishing since the mid 70s right <laughs> before kayak fishing was even kayak fishing right. yeah he'd already done <laughs> just an incredible guy yeah. All right. So, so let's talk about the moment we realized that our return flight was totally different. Yeah. So we were eating lunch there, just having a good old time. And then all of a sudden we just look and say, Hey, let's check out our itinerary. When do we need to be at the airport? And yeah, you were needed to be there way before me. <laughs> well, I think mine was like yeah. eight, eight twenty a.m. And yours was yeah. 8 20 p.m., which is why we didn't catch yeah. it, you know, the first time. Yeah, it was messed up. It was a little bit of a cluster there, but, you know, when it was all said and done, there wasn't anything we could do. And so we just we just wrote it out. You know, you took off the in the morning and, and I took off that night. Um, I think your your trip was pretty much pretty uh, smooth, smooth sailing and and. and, and Smooth sailing all the way through, right? Yeah, I didn't quite have that luck, but <laughs> I, I got to Madrid and was met with a 14-hour layover. Yeah, 14 hours. That's a long time to just slum in an, in an airport. <laughs> and I, all I the hotels were booked. Were, so. They were booked, and, and, and I mean, I probably could have gone to the outskirts, but then I would have had to have gotten a cab or a shuttle or something like that, and then they were really expensive, and I was just like, Nope, I just, I just, I'm going to stay here where I know I need to be. So I did. And it's probably a good thing it had 14 hours because I think it took three hours for me to figure out where the heck I had to go <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to get to the other side of the concourse. <laughs> so I did finally make it though. Took the train again underneath the whole uh, runway and all that jazz. And yep, got on my connecting flight one o'clock the next day, flew to Philly. Uh, flew to Philadelphia there, and um, that's where I went through customs and everything. Actually, was pretty pretty smooth there. 
I had a three hour layover there, um, and which actually turned into about five. Because, uh, uh, yeah, they we were they delayed boarding our plane. We had a small little hour, hour and a half jump from Philly to Cleveland there where you picked me up. But the, they delayed our uh, boarding because of some maintenance issue. Not sure why, but it is what it is. Glad they did, I guess. Right. So but we, we finally get on the plane and then we're sitting there and we're sitting there and we're sitting there. And we finally get pushed out and begin to taxiway. And then the the captain comes on the radio there and says well folks uh, it's gonna be uh probably another half hour or so because i there's just such a line of aircraft getting ready to take off so just sit tight we'll we'll be on our way shortly okay well an hour later we were still on the taxiway and the captain comes back on and says well folks i hate to say this but we're gonna have to return back to the gate because we're about out of fuel <laughs> 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 oh, man. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me right now? <laughs> so, yep, we go all the way back to the gate. We sit there for another half hour, 45 minutes to get refueled. And then finally we get on our way. And so, yeah, um, we were still on the taxiway at the time that I was supposed to be landing and actually being picked up by you the first time. And so, anyway, we finally got on our way. Got to Cleveland. All my luggage was there. Yay. And uh, met you to, and you, you picked me up way late at night. And then, uh, yeah, crashed at your place, got the next morning and headed home. Yeah. And there we go. <laughs> Back to reality. <laughs> so tell me, what's on the horizon? What, what do you have planned for the future? Man, uh, well, for the near future, like as in the next couple of months, um, a whole lot of hopefully nothing. <laughs> now, I, I hope to get in the woods a little bit. I'm a big time deer hunter as well. And I've completely missed pretty much all season. I haven't even been able to think about that yet um, because I've been fishing. Not that I'm complaining because, you know, it's a good problem to have. Uh, but I want to get some time in the woods um, and then uh, work on some sponsorship stuff, you know, throughout the winter. I've only got a couple of months. Because then uh, season, the next 2023 season starts up at the end of January for me down in Florida. So, uh, yeah, next year is going to be kind of more of the same, really. We'll be fishing some KBF events and hopefully some Hobie events. Um, uh, I'm involved with the KFL a little bit, too. It's a team concept that came out a couple of years ago, which is a lot of fun. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, uh, have an opportunity to uh, to go after another medal come next June as the uh, next kayak fishing world championships are going to be held right here on our home turf in uh, Center Hill Lake in Tennessee. So that is going to be absolutely phenomenal. So incredible. We'll see. We'll see. And uh, I've already first I accepted <clears throat> the fact that I'm not the best bass fisherman in the nation by far. <laughs> I'm pretty far down the list. You're um, a walleye guy, man. Yeah, but that's what you do. Then I, then I said, well, I got six, seven months. That's enough time, right? Hey, why not? So, aside from walleye and and everything else, I'm doing. Um, any opportunity that I have, I'm going to be working on honing in my bass skills, whether I'll be there competing for that tournament or not. 
Um, at the end of the day, the best person for the job deserves it. And, and I absolutely a thousand percent support that, but I will be there in Cookville, Tennessee in some form, fashion, whether it's media or safety coordinator or, or any, any way that I can be involved and share this experience with others. Because after experiencing this, I want everybody to experience what we experienced because oh, that, man, that's, that's awesome. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't put it into words. I mean, we've been babbling about it now for, I don't know, an hour or more, but you still, you, you just cannot put the experience into words and do it any justice. All, all the posts that we've been putting on, you know, pictures and video and all that, it doesn't do it any justice. That place was just absolutely breathtaking out there. It really was. Um, yeah. You know, it's I'm I'm truly honored to be able to share it with you and and with Eric. Um, honestly, I don't think there was anybody else in the world that uh, I would want to be there. You know, um, Likewise. it was just uh, it was incredible. You know, we had a great group and we all three of us bonded. And we all learned and grew and uh, we're, we're so much better because of it, you know, and that's, that's really the, the purpose, you know, yep. get better every day. Right. That's right. That's right. So. Awesome. All right, man. <clears throat> hey, thanks for coming on Mike and congratulations again on the hardware. Thanks for, thanks for having me, man. It was a, it was a good time. Uh, I always love talking about the, our adventures like that. So we need to come out with like a new show or something, you know, the adventures of Chuck and Mike. <laughs> something, man. Sounds good to me. You know, I'm, right. I'm always in for an adventure. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Hey, thanks for coming on the show, Mike. And uh, one more time, congratulations, bro. You, you earned and deserved that medal every ounce of the way there during the tournament and um and after <laughs> all right buddy well i really appreciate it man so, yeah thanks man we'll talk to you. all right thanks we'll see you. All right. hey guys thanks for listening to the show don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app we will see you on the next episode and remember for me fishing is life Thank <laughs> you.